Thanks for listening to the Doug Gottlieb Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday, 3 to 6 Eastern, 12 to 3 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. Find your local station for the Doug Gottlieb Show at foxsportsradio.com or stream us live every day on the iHeartRadio app by searching FSR. Now let's get this party started. You're listening to Fox Sports Radio. What up, America? Doug Gottlieb Show. Fox Sports Radio. Coming to you live from sunny Southern California. Welcome in. A reminder, check out the latest lines on World of Sports at Bet Rivers Sportsbook. Bet Rivers is the trusted name in online sports betting. Got to be 21. Present in Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, and Pennsylvania to play. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Man, we got a lot of stuff to get to. Um, I just, uh, I, I we got Mike Gundy coming up here in... Less than 15 minutes, okay? Uh, the head coach of Oklahoma State's football team, yes, it's my alma mater, but they're defending Big 12 champs. They're ranked 12th in the country, and they're at the center of a bunch of different things, right? Um, not just his one-hand push-ups. We don't even need to talk about his mullet that he cut last year. Uh, his son is his backup quarterback. That one's interesting. Spencer Sanders is back as a fourth-year starter. That's interesting. Oklahoma and Oklahoma State are going to play this year. Will they play in the future? That's interesting. What does the Big 12 look like? What does scheduling look like? What is what is it like to recruit with the portal, with the NIL? All of that stuff. I want to get to with Mike Gundy upcoming in, uh, in uh, I'm, I'll just tell you right now, in 10 minutes, you're not going to want to miss. Right? So just stick with us here. We'll, we'll get him about 10 minutes. Um, the big news of the day, the big news of the day, is that Kevin Durant and the Nets have come to some form of agreement that they're going to stay together. And there's an irony to it, right? Part of the irony to it is it's Kobe Bryant's birthday. Kobe Bryant would have been 44 today. Obviously, anyone who, uh, like myself, got to know Kobe Bryant, it's even more poignant and different than people who just saw him and appreciated him. He was very, like that, Kobe's an interesting dude now. The Kobe that tragically died in a helicopter crash was not the Kobe that showed up in L.A. as a 17-year-old, nor was he the Kobe that parted, that, that got to a, a rift with Shaq where one of them had to go or that Kobe Bryant wanted to be traded. That's the People forget Kobe Bryant put it out there through Rick Buecher, if you remember, that he wanted out of L.A. and he was this close to becoming a Chicago Bull. Remember that? Then he was almost an L.A. Clipper. And ultimately, the Lakers refused to acquiesce. He stayed with the Lakers and won two more titles. And I don't know if that's where we are with Kevin Durant, but I I do need to point something out. Two parts to it. One, look, I, I, I realize this, that once you go to the, I don't want to play for that coach, for that GM anymore, I don't want to be here, that is... That's not calling the divorce lawyer. That's filing for divorce. Not every file ends up in a divorce, although not every marriage, even when you stay together, has to be perfectly happy and blissful. A lot of people are like, hey, let's just stay together until the kids get through school and then, you know, you'll do your thing. I'll do my thing. Does that bring pure happiness and joy and the best out of each each other? Probably not, but it also doesn't upset the apple cart so much. There's also the emotions of your chili running hot where 
you're Kevin Durant and you're mad because they're saying that your boy Kyrie Irving is not holding up his end of the bargain and you don't want to extend him. So by not extending him, you partner with your buddy and you're like, look, if he, you're, if you're not into him, then I'm not into you and we're out. But the biggest point is this is not done anymore. And I believe it should be. And this is part of the discussion we'll have with, with Coach Gundy coming up. It's Doug Gottlieb show on Fox Sports Radio, which is, hey, you sign a contract, you fulfill that contract. You sign a contract, you fulfill that contract. Tell me another place that, that, that this takes place on earth than you sign a contract for essentially five years. You're under contract before this year. Now it's four more years. He's under contract. And you're like, yeah, I don't want to work anymore. There's not a place on earth that would go like, oh, you're not happy? Well, let me find a place where you're happy for the contract that we negotiated for four more years. That doesn't. In college sports, you used to have to go into your coach and ask for your release. Otherwise, if you transferred, you would lose a year. And it was increasingly difficult and you couldn't play. Um, not just would you lose a year, but then you, it would essentially be sitting two years. You couldn't play in conference. And then when you transferred out of conference, you would lose that year that you would be forced to sit out. It was extra punitive and people said it wasn't fair, but it was the only point of leverage for, for coaches so that you couldn't just get mad and say, I'm out deuces. And there were times in which coaches were like, I'm not giving you your release. You're fine here. Like we worked with you. We recruited you. We coached you. We helped you through school. We put you in a good place. You're just not playing because you're a freshman or you're a sophomore. Somebody ahead of you is better. You're going to play. You're going to be a great partner. You just got to have some patience and we're not going to give you a release. Nobody can do that anymore. If you do it now, you're seen as you're holding a kid back. You're ruining his future. You're doing this. You're doing that. Whatever. You can't do it anymore. That's what they're doing here. You know? They kind of did it in Seattle last year where Russell Wilson wanted out and then played one more year, and then ultimately he was gone. Remember the Green Bay Packers, Aaron Rodgers wanted out going back a year ago. Was that a play for more money? Did he win anyway? I, I think the answer is maybe. But the big misconception about the Nets is that this group won't work. It doesn't, I'm not going to tell you unequivocally it will work, but you have to give me any sort, any amount of data that shows it won't work. There isn't any that exists. Do you know why? Because they've never actually played together. Even if you go back to the previous year where you had a mismatch of, of guys, they were up two games to none on the eventual champion Milwaukee Bucks. And stop me if you heard me this before. Kyrie Irving got hurt. James Harden wasn't right because of his hamstring. And they still forced a game seven. And Kevin Durant hit a game tire that could have been a game winner if not for his damn toe being on the line. Fast forward this year, you have an exhausted Kevin Durant because he played in the Olympics. And after coming back from a midseason knee injury, he had to carry the team down the stretch to get them into the playoffs. Kyrie's not right because he's celebrating Ramadan. And Ben Simmons isn't healthy enough to play. And the midseason trade didn't give them a cohesive team. They've not only never had the, a big three on the floor in key moments in the past two years, but they've never actually had a training camp 
with the big three all healthy. Previous year, James Harden wasn't on the team until early in the year, midseason or so, less than midseason. This year, you didn't have Ben Simmons wasn't on the team, never played a game. You don't have training camp. You can't build a defensive system. You can't teach guys rotation. There's no cohesiveness. It had no chance of working. So the Nets, by my estimation, are saying, look, we don't know if it works. We still think it will. We don't know if Steve Nash can coach, and we don't know if you and Kyrie can win a title. We don't know if ben, how Ben Simmons fits with all you guys. We think on paper it's all going to work. And these past two years have taught Steve Nash how to be a better coach, have showed you that you need better teammates and who you need around, have taught Kyrie Irving, man, you can't do the Ramadan thing in, in the playoffs. It's just too exhausting. And have shown Ben Simmons, we need you on the floor. And you need Joe Harris as well. You can say it won't work, but you can't say it hasn't worked. And the Nets are saying that exact same thing. It may not work, but you know what? You're under contract. Kyrie's under contract. So let's see if it works before we break it up. And on a day in which we celebrate the life of Kobe Bean Bryant, we should remember Kobe once said he wanted out of L.A. The Lakers didn't acquiesce. And they won two titles there shortly, shortly thereafter. Be sure to catch the live edition of the Doug Gottlieb Show weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. It's Doug Gottlieb Show here on Fox Sports Radio. They're the defending champs of the Big 12. Their head coach was a star quarterback. And as alum, he's taken the program to heights never before seen. He's Mike Gundy. He's kind enough to spend some time with us here on the Doug Gottlieb Show on Fox Sports Radio. Coach, how are you? Doug, good to visit with you. Um, what is the key to one-hand push-ups? Okay, come on, there has to be a trick to it that a man of your um, experience, let's not say age, let's say experience and stature, what's the, what's the key? Give us the keys to the one-hand push-up. Law of physics, weight distribution. Make sure you're spread out, and that way you don't have to be very strong to do it. And uh, watching the movie, man, you got to watch the Rocky movie. The the, the young reporter that uh, brought it up the other day had never even seen the Rocky movie. Uh, so hopefully by now he's seen that since I encouraged him to watch that and not so much SpongeBob. <laughs> um, what What has life been like for you in Stillwater? Obviously, there's a lot of changes upcoming in college football. But for you to lead this program to a regular season Big 12 championship, to then beat Notre Dame in the bowl game, what's the offseason been like for you and your program? Well, it's been awesome for me personally. I mean, when you have a great year like we had and being around so many special guys and the the state's excited, the the fans are excited, and, and you, you know, we gain a lot of respect, and uh, the guys work hard. So it, it's been a fun offseason, and now that we've uh, been back to work for, for three weeks, guys understand that last year's history and, and we have to work for this season. But, uh, but it's certainly a, a lot of fun over the, the, the eight months when you have a really good season during the off season. You know, people are starting to fall in love nationally with Malcolm Rodriguez, who was an incredible player for you last year. Because, you know, because of hard knocks and because of who he is as a football player, uh, who he is as a person, it, it, it translates through the show. Like, this dude is special. 
Uh, for people who are just getting now to know Rodriguez as a as a Detroit Lion, w- what do you know as his coach going through his career, going through his last incredible season that people should understand about the makeup of the kid? Well, he has a great personality, a very magnetic personality. People want to be around him. They like him. He's big-time humble, very appreciative of who he is and where he's at, uh, never been entitled, uh, never shied away from hard work. And he's um, a player that has an, an uncanny ability to be in the right place at the right time. Uh, his brain works differently than other people's. He sees things faster than other players do, which allows him to, to take better angles, uh, to take the proper angles, uh, and put, him, put himself in a position for success. And he's had to earn his way pretty much all of his life. He was, he was from Wagner, Oklahoma. I think at that time they were a 3A school um, and a tr- tremendous uh, two-time, two- or three-time state champion heavy, uh, wrestler. Um, shortstop in baseball, a draftable prospect in baseball in high school, and then obviously a quarterback and a defensive player. And they won, I know they won at least three state championships in football. So he's always been around um, success, been around the right place at the right time. And um, it's no different with him with where he's at now. I mean, he's uh, two inches short for what the NFL says is tall enough to play that position. His wingspan is a couple, three inches short for the wingspan needed to play that position. Um, but when you throw all that to the side and say, let's play football, he starts to show up as uh, the people across the country are starting to find out at this time. How do you balance that in evaluation for recruiting? How do, how do you balance the head, the heart, the the skill at a uh, lower level in high school, understanding what eventually will translate three, four, five years, six years down the road in the Big 12. How do, you, how do you evaluate that? So for us at our level, we can take more chances than they do in the NFL. So, and, and a lot of times that's what's left on our plate. Uh, sometimes in recruiting, we live in a, in a state of, you know, a population of just under 4 million. Um, we, we don't have the, the large number of, of, of uh, Division One players in our state to choose from. So we have to be very selective, and uh, the production level of a player um, away from maybe height, weight, speed to a certain extent. I mean, within reason, we can't bring a guy in that doesn't have a chance athletically, but if he's been very, very, very productive and um, has some of those um, characteristics that make him a little maybe a step slow or not quite as tall, we can go on those guys, uh, and it's, we've, we've benefited from that greatly. Uh, the NFL doesn't take as many chances. Uh, what, what they'll tell you is that um, for every 10 of those guys we take, seven and a half of them aren't going to make it. So they're going to play the percentages. They're not going to do it. But uh, for here, here at Oklahoma State, we take a number of those guys based on the production, and we've had success. How has the portal changed your recruiting? Uh, we don't buy into the portal as much here. Um, we, we're still developing players in the locker room. We take it some, uh, depending on if we've had an, an injury, um, a couple, three unfortunate injuries at one position, and we need some immediate help. But we haven't relied near as much on the portal as what maybe some other schools are. Um, I, I just I don't have as much confidence in it, uh, and I just feel like the, the development of players that we have in our program and our culture has benefited us greatly. 
and that we should stay with what got us to the point to where we are today. Mike Gundy is our guest. He's the head coach of Oklahoma State, the one the Big 12 last year. They're a preseason uh, top 15 ball club, ranked 12th in the country. Uh, your fourth game, I know you don't want to get ahead of your, your, your first three, especially with Central Michigan. Um, if we know the history of, of the two programs, Central Michigan, the first game. But it, it is interesting that with OU and Texas still in the league, there may not be a bigger game in the country, especially in the Big 12 season, than when you guys travel to Waco and Baylor um, in, in the, on the 1st of October. In terms of, of preparing a team, this group, you have your quarterback back, you have a good group of your core back from, from last year. What's the preparation like for the season in terms of building for game one into the Big 12? Well, it's just what you said. We work hard in August to get base, uh, offense, defense, special teams in. Uh, starting tomorrow, we'll start working more towards Central Michigan. Um, and then it takes you know a week by week process. We we find out where we are after the first game. Uh, we put everything into this game, and um, then we find out who we are and what our strengths are and what our weaknesses are. We try to um, work uh, either one of those, stay with our strengths, play to it. Um, what what can we do to overcome some of our weaknesses and get into the next week and then the next week and so on, and. Um, and once you get to that fourth game, um, as a coaching staff, we should have a good feel for who we are and where our strengths should be going into conference play and things that we should have gotten better at um, going into conference play and then try to capitalize that. Hopefully you can keep most of your guys healthy. Um, we should have uh, made some decisions on guys that will have to play in the first three games that didn't play much uh, last year, whether it's youth or inexperience, to see where we're at with those players, how much can they handle mentally, where are they at physically. Uh, you try to put all that together and get ready for a conference opener. Um, Spencer Sanders is your, is your quarterback. He's back as a, as a starter in his fourth season. Of course, he's, he's had injuries. He's had, you know... Second halves that don't match the first halves. There's been, I think anyone who's honest say he's got a ton of talent. What's been missing has been some consistency. Obviously, amazing the last time we saw him lead the comeback against Notre Dame. We've, we've seen other comebacks as well. How, how as, a, as a former quarterback and as a guy who's designed this offense and worked with him personally, how do you get him to a level of greater consistency? In most cases, if we rush the ball um, decent in the game and we protect him some, he's played really, really, really good. Uh, the times that he's been ineffective and inconsistent is when uh, we, we weren't very good rushing the football and we didn't protect him very well, which is very similar to a quarterback. And you can watch high school football, college football, or the NFL, and you're going to see that's going to be really consistent, that – if you can't rush the ball a little bit in a game and you're struggling in your protection, your quarterback's biological clock is going off faster. He won't sit in the pocket. He's running around trying to make a play. Uh, they just don't play very well. And so uh, Spencer has um, uh, really, really um, gotten good in our style of offense. He's been here a long time. Uh, he understands it. He knows it like the back of his hand, which benefits him. Our offense is very simple, except for the quarterback's. It's a lot for a quarterback, and once our quarterbacks get through a couple years and start to learn our system, they get better and better really fast, and that's where he's at now. So I think the consistency of um, him knowing our system will benefit him uh, this season as we move forward. 
your team, you guys had the, the, the Texas was a comeback, Oklahoma was a comeback, Notre Dame was a comeback. Now, there's, there's two different parts to it, right? Or maybe even three. One, obviously, anyone who knows the program and what Coach Glass does with conditioning, it's, it's as good or better than anybody in the country. Two, it speaks to the adjustments you and your staff were able to make at that. That's the good part. The bad part is, like, yeah, sometimes you're kind of just playing with fire there, right? Um, from your perspective, when you look at some of these incredible comebacks that you had last year in this spectacular season— how do you see it? Well, just like the way you described it, um, we the first three or four games of the year, we had a, a real injury issue at wide receiver and offensive line. So we were playing with uh, two true freshmen at wideouts for two games, which is going to be extremely difficult at, at any level, much less at, at our level. So we were, were very limited. We were fortunate we could have started the season one and two real easy. And then um, we started to get some guys healthy and played better. Uh, you know, we were behind at Texas. Texas is a really good football team and talented. Uh, you know, I mean, their their win loss didn't uh, didn't uh, show that. But when you play Texas, you know you're playing against really, really, really high level football players. It's going to be a challenge for us at Oklahoma State. Um, Oklahoma's a good football team. We fell behind. They had a uh, fantastic quarterback. That's tough to deal with. Uh, and then Alabama, I mean, uh, Notre Dame's the same way. Notre Dame um, uh, was a fantastic team and and really, really, really good on defense, and it was hard for us to match up with them with their length on both sides of the ball, offensive and defensive line. They were much taller and longer than us. So we had to go back to our conditioning to be able to win. So um, we, would, we would prefer to not be in those situations, but because of the style of play and our culture and, and with me having the luxury of being here so long, uh, and our our staff stays together for so long. Most of the guys that are working on my on our staff have been with us a long time, so we don't really have to hit a, a panic mode. Um, we we can just keep playing, and we know how to get back into games, and it's worked out well for us. Uh, those were were three unbelievable comeback wins for our program. No, they're. I mean, as as a as an alum to watch, it gives you goosebumps just just thinking about it, because. You know, the the doubt creeps in your mind. I mean, that's really what's changed with the program, right? Is, is you know, when you took over, uh, I would say that uh, everyone has it. There's a team like this in every sport, but there was the waiting for something bad to happen. And somehow through the years, you've kind of changed it to where now you're waiting for just give me one sign. And I know these guys got life. Is there is is there a way in which that can be coached? To, to change that you've been able to change that mentality of expecting something good to happen? Well, it takes, it takes um, time because we have to have proof, right? We, can't, we just can't coach to a year or two or three years and say we've changed. Um, it's a long-term, uh, long-time tradition that you have to build, and I'm in year 18 now. And then it has to be somewhat consistent success over that time, which we've accomplished. So now the players think differently, the fans think differently. Uh, the national media across the country sees us differently. And so you just kind of turn the corner a little bit. And, and that's really what's happened is we've kind of turned the corner. You know, and I mentioned this to people after the season. I don't know if there's been a team in the history of college football that beat Texas OU and Notre Dame in the same year. Uh, and, I, and I'm going to guess that there's not been one, if that is true, that was were, was behind and then came back and beat all three of those teams. Yeah. Um, and so what you're saying is correct. It's something that's taken time for us to develop confidence in who we are, 
uh, and the players have to then believe in the system and the confidence that's been instilled in them with the coaches to come back and win games against really, really good opponents. Uh, your son Gunner's now on the team. Mm-hmm. Obviously, he had a great, great career at Stillwater High School. Mm-hmm. Have you thought about what that moment's going to be like when you send him into the game? Well, you know, it's yes. Uh, you know, I've watched him work with us here. He redshirted last year, and he'll be a, he's a redshirt freshman now, and. It's it's different, Doug. It's crazy because you know you have young ones that are you know playing sports now, and and you go and try all the travel ball games, basketball and baseball and football and stuff. You watch them, and it's different. But when you're the coach at a high level like this, like sometimes I forget, and then I'll look around and I'll see him, and I'm like, damn, I didn't even realize I forgot he was on our team, you know. <laughs> uh, and you know, especially when you call him up at the end of practice and you're looking at all 130 of them, then you look and you scan and you see him, and you're kind of like, man, I didn't. Uh, he's on our team now, but but Gunner has worked really really hard to put himself in a position to be prepared to play if called on this year, um, and and it is cool to be able to spend extra time. You know, when I listen to you on the radio, you know, the time that you have with with your kids and in at home and in with their, their activities and such is precious time. And I, I enjoy that. I like that. You know, I don't really have hobbies. I mean, I work with my team, and I go home, and I spend time with my kids. Now, I only have one left. He's a senior here at the high school. But I enjoyed that. I mean, I, would, I wish I had another one now because those are the things I like to do. And by with him being on our team, that allows me to extend my life with him as a dad and as a parent because he's on my team. But then there's still the balance of, like, you got to coach the team, right? You got to, mm-hmm. you know, you have to – there's a separation of church and state there. And then, That's right. you know, and then, you know, when you put him in, I, I, uh, Steve Alford's dad had a great had a great way of putting it. He, he said when he coached Steve in high school, that when he when he first put him in the game as a freshman, they booed him for putting him in. And by his senior year, they booed him for taking him out. Right. That's like that's, that's the ultimate awesome. dream of a, of, of a dad coach. That's awesome. Well, and that's true. So he's had a lot of pressure on him. One, he had to get the trust of the team in that in the locker room, hey, do I have to be careful what I say around Gunner? Is he going to tell his dad? You know, I mean, I know that he went through that. We never talked about that. See, he doesn't tell me anything. Like I've told him before, like if, you know, if something happened, I'm like, why didn't you tell him? And he goes, well, it's not my job to tell you. I'm just on your team. I'm not your son when it comes to that. And so he had to learn to get the trust of the team in the locker room uh, and outside the locker room, and then also had to get the trust of them that, hey, he's good enough to be here, which he has now. I mean, he's proven that. They're, they're aware that he's talented enough to play on this team. So that part's taken care of. But the difficult part was, you know, can I be myself as a player or can I say what I want to around Gunner in the locker room so I can trust that he's not going to, you know, throw me under the bus or something to his dad? So that's the part that he's finally got accomplished, which I know he's he's more comfortable with because that's not easy. I mean, that's you know how it is in the locker room. I mean, we remember the locker rooms more than we remember the games. And and so he's finally got that accomplished where the players trust him. Um, Oklahoma's still on the schedule. Um, I have my own feelings. You, you've made yours yours known. Um, but but now as we, we get closer and closer to what could be the last meeting in Big 12 play between you and OU, where are you on the desire to keep the series going? Well, one, it's over my head. I don't make that decision. Two, uh, you know, what I said this summer was OU and Texas need to make those decisions. They're the one that bolted from the conference. 
but my personal opinion is, is is it's not feasible. I think that everybody's just trying to avoid coming out and calling it like it is, is that once they make the move to the SEC, it's over. Uh, the, we're, we're playing nine um, conference games. We're playing scheduled. We're, we're scheduled up through the mid-30s with uh, an extra um, Power 5 opponent, and then we have other games. And um, I can't speak for, for anybody else, but I know that at Oklahoma State, we have 10 Power 5 conference opponents a year. And then a lot of seasons we're picking up Tulsa, which is has been competitive with all these Power 5 teams. So that's really 11, okay? Like this year with Central Michigan. You know, that that, that conference up there they play in, the MAC, with those teams, you got to be real careful in playing them. Uh, they're, they're, they're well coached and, and they can win. So it does – does um, Oklahoma and Oklahoma State, does it make any sense for us to play each other in another non-conference game when we're trying to – when both teams are trying to get in the playoffs and win a conference championship? Mm-hmm. From a physicality standpoint and from a standpoint of we need to win games, it's not going to happen. I don't see it happening. And I know that upsets some people, but I could just say, yeah, sure, we'd love to play them. I think it's going to happen. Let's work it out. I just don't think there's anybody behind the scenes working for that. I'm just trying to be realistic. Okay, but but there is a there's a financial element to it, right? I mean, the, the could be they, the, there could be Doug, and and television's driving this this um, train. You know that these contracts that are driving all these conferences. So could there be a side where um, somebody jumps in and says, hey? Um, we will do this, this, and this, but we need non-conference OU and OSU to play every year, and it's worth this amount of money. Now that changes the ball game. Yeah, I think that, and there, and there, there has to be. There's a, a, a monetary amount to which it makes it worth it, right? And, it and could, that could very well happen, sure. Be, because the, the other part element to it, which has been explained to me, and I don't know if it's BS, you tell me, is some of these schools that have bolted have said, like, look, part of the deal is the TV money. That's almost a wash because in order to elevate to the SEC, we got to upgrade facilities, travel is more, et cetera, et cetera. But the, the, the way you make a, the, a, a bunch of money in football is filling up that stadium. And it's a lot easier to fill up that stadium when Georgia and Bama and Auburn and Florida and Georgia are coming to town as opposed to Iowa State and Kansas State, it's, it's, et cetera. The, the same would ring true for you, right? Like, no disrespect to Central Michigan or to any of the Power Fives, you play Boise on the road or Arizona State, but, you know, the idea of anyone, there, there won't be an empty seat in the house. You can charge whatever you want if OU comes in um, on a biannual basis in terms of for the suites and for the seats. There's truth to that. And the other side of that, though, is they come to the games if you're winning. And if you're projecting in major bowls, New Year bowls, and potential playoff, that, that's another reason why they come. So <clears throat> it's the fine line. It's almost like in coaching. The key is to practice hard enough to be physical and be in great shape in the game, yeah. but don't do too much to where you're beat up and you don't get your guys to the race. You know, it's like what Coach Sutton used to say. I want to show up at the Kentucky Derby, not with a donkey running in the race. I want to show, <laughs> up, at the, I want to show up with a racehorse. And so there's a real fine line there. And you know what's interesting about all this? This is all going to be determined, Doug, behind closed doors with with conference commissioners and university presidents. And football coaches are going to be told what to do. Yeah. No, I mean, it's and, – and, and the players, I, I think, and again, you live it, uh, in an effort to, to make the players feel supported and some of these programs between name, image, and likeness and just funneling money to players, I almost feel like now – 
this desire to make them professional. You want them to be professionals, that's fine. Part of being professionals is they get fired, right? They 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 get mm-hmm. they get pushed pushed aside. I I talked to a, a a mutual friend who we could talk off air who coaches at a different school, and he said, you know, for forever people thought these kids were exploited previously. I actually think they're going to be exploited more now. Uh, there's no question about that. That's a fact. If it's going this direction, it's just like make the determination as an athletic department. Are you going to build facilities? Or are you going to bank NIL money? Yeah, if you don't have a, if you don't have a facility now, it feels like you're not going to. Like, thankfully, you have your, you got right. the the stadiums getting redone, the locker rooms getting redone, the That's training, right. everything's getting redone, and you have the the practice facility. But like, if you don't have it, it feels like you might not get it because kids don't go to school anymore because of the facilities. They go to school because of the big schools. They're offering crazy amounts of money. One hundred percent. It used to be they upgrade the facilities. Now you got to be careful that you don't upgrade facilities and you don't have NIL money, and then you don't have the right people in those upgraded facilities. Well, then there's the other balance, and this is interesting, and, and I don't know how much you're in this place. Obviously, NIL not as big a part of how you guys recruit, right? Where you have some of these programs, they offer kids a huge NIL, you know, basically bonus if they go there, but as freshmen, they're not ready to play, right? So... And, and if you don't play them, they're going to leave. If you play them a little, they're going to leave. If you play them a lot, they might stay, but then you're not going to win. Like, that, that's a hard way to coach. It's What you're saying is exactly right. Still to this day, we get a few skill kids that are ready. Most of these guys aren't going to be ready for two years in this sport. It's too physical. It's too physical of a sport to hold up when you're 18 and 19 years old. So, And there's uh, at-home pressure from parents, uh, friends, family, handlers, agents, whatever you want to call them, why are you not on the field? You need to be on the field. And there's a tremendous amount of pressure, and a lot of these players are moving around schools when they're not physically and or mentally ready to play. And so the the managing the CEO side of what my profession is as a head coach now has changed considerably in the last 18 months than what it was in my first 16 years mm-hmm. and how we're handling this. Um, because the portal – and the NIL is nothing more than free agency. And in the big picture, it's just like the, the Major League Baseball trade deadline was 20 days ago or 15 days ago, whatever. Whether it was public or not, we knew the Yankees were going to pick up two pitchers. They do it all the time. We knew they were going to do it. And right before the trade deadline, they did it because they have the power and the money and the, and the, and the means to, to get it accomplished. And unfortunately or fortunately, however you look at it, that's kind of the direction we're going in college football. I think that the, the difference is that in free agency, in professional sports, you have a set number of years in a contract, and mm-hmm. then you're a free agent, whereas with the current system, you're kind of a free agent any year. There, there's, not, there's, there's nothing truly binding, and there's even, obviously, a proposal right now to where they can be free agency every year. That just feels like, like, like to me, what we're, what we're getting away from is, why do people go to college football games? because the kids generally, not always, from their area that they like seeing grow and they represent their schools and they play against rivals who you played against for 100 years. Now, you know, most of these schools, you, you, every year you have to learn about a new team, even when you're a fan of that, of, the, of that team. There's all new players from different places. And then we're changing these 100-plus-year-old rivalries where it might feel really good in the short term, but in the long term there's just not – you know, not the history. It's like Missouri football. I, I know Missouri had a really good run early in the SEC, 
But now, do they have a real rivalry with anybody? Whereas they played Kansas and Kansas State for a hundred years, right? Like that rivalry yep. goes to the to back to the Civil War, and now they're in a conference where they're never going to win, and it's hard to compete, and there's no true rivals. Well, everything you said is exactly right on, and and that's the concern with the direction all this is going because there is some uncertainty we're not sure of. And you know, you talk, you know, the talk about the free agency with pros, but now remember, there's there's been players that have gone into the front office and said, "I know I have three years on my contract. I want to be traded." And yep. most of those most of those guys are getting traded, and so it's 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 really different now than it ever has been from that standpoint. But the and I said this the other day, and I guess I don't know, some people might have taken offense, taken offense to it or whatever, but. When whether you like it or not, when OU and Texas left our league, they took with them a hundred years of tradition. It's gone. It's out the window. Whether you like it or not, that's a fact. And so, those things are going away across the country. You know, it went away with Texas A&M and Texas. What six, eight years ago, or however long it's been, when they left the conference. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know now they might be able to drum that uh, up again with with both schools being in the SEC. But anyway, there's just a lot of tradition that's going out the window that's never going to come back. Um, in all honesty, how if if the Big Twelve remains as it's currently constituted, and the SEC and the Big Ten remain as they're currently constituted, you mentioned TV, right? Everybody's mm-hmm. sided up with a different TV network in those two major conferences. How challenging will it be for Oklahoma State to get into a national playoff, um, even though you've built it to a level of relevance to this point? Well, every year is challenging. It takes a lot to get in. But we've been, you know, we've been close. We, we've been close a couple years, um, and uh, we'll, we'll continue to work toward that. Um, uh, I, I, I don't want to put the cart in front of the horse. For us, we need to win our conference. And that's the goal with our team. We need to win our conference because it's been proven in most cases. If we don't win the Big 12, it's going to be extremely difficult to get into the next one. And so we need to win that, and then that puts us in a position. As we speak now, there's only four teams that that make it in, which um, could very well be the way it should be because you've got to be careful about watering down that playoff system too much. Um, you know, that's for a debate another time we talk on the show. But my point being is that um, that's what our goal is, to try to give ourselves. But it is extremely difficult to play at that level, win the games consistently throughout the year, not have a slip up, stay healthy to be able to get in. it. It's extremely difficult. Uh, last thing, and you've been more than mm-hmm. generous with your time. Sure. Um, every year, you know, last year you had massive injuries and you just survived early in the year. You know, you mentioned you got a, a freshman catching a huge ball against Boise State, yep. you know, in order to, uh, was that Billy Tubbs grandson, right? Catching the ball. That's to, exactly right. Yeah. To, to, to beat Boise. So sometimes you just find a way. But I, I would guess that you probably looked out and saw your team and thought what their potential was. You look at it, your club now, those 130 kids now. How good is this team? We're good enough to win a bunch of games if we stay healthy. There's always going to be three or four positions here. There always has been in my history where we had to stay healthy. If not, it makes it difficult for us. But I will be honest with you. When we got into week two and three last year with our health, I was really concerned that that we could win six or seven games. Uh, And because none of us knew how good we were on defense. 
uh, we just didn't know. We, we didn't realize we were that good. Um, but uh, we, we can have a really good team. We have good chemistry. We have good leadership in the right spots. We've got to get um, some decent linebacker play. We just let two linebackers go that are fantastic. Um, and we got to get some good running back play. We just let a running back go that's at Pittsburgh that's, um, you know, fantastic. So we get, the, we get uh, some, some play at those positions, keep some guys healthy. We'll have a shot. Mike, thanks so much for your time. Can't wait to see you guys again in Central Michigan. Catch up in person very okay. soon. Okay, Doug, thanks as always, man. Appreciate you. Be sure to catch the live edition of the Doug Gottlieb Show weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. Doug Gottlieb Show, Fox Sports Radio. Every day at this time, we like to get you a thought or a rant from a previous show on Fox Sports Radio or Fox Sports 1, we call it. Ow. What Does the Fox Say is brought to you by Discover. We can talk about how complicated other banks make it to redeem credit card rewards, or we can talk about how with Discover, you can redeem your rewards for cash in any amount and any time. We can talk about amazing. Learn more at discover.com slash redeem rewards. Terms apply. LeVar Arrington said this about the Thaddeus Moss, Thaddeus Moss chop block that injured Giants rookie Kayvon Thibodeau. I'm not going to let Thibodeau off the hook for how poorly he handled that block. It was not an egregious block. It, it really was not. Athletic. It was That's not at understand. all. Neither one of them was really athletic in the moment. Neither yeah. neither one. Not not the way Thibodeau handled it. It was weird the way Thibodeau, like almost like like, what are you gonna do? I don't know what are you gonna do. I don't know. I'm I'm gonna go down and hit you on your legs. Okay. I didn't really want you to hit it like that. Like, man, why, how are you rolling my leg up like this? Like they both look weird. Like you gotta learn how to handle blocks where they're not conventional. And I think that he learned a valuable lesson. If there was anything to take away from that moment, it's not for people to be outraged about what happened. It's If your profession calls for you understanding how to handle any given situation, you need to be prepared to be able to handle any given situation. People so goddamn touch-sensitive these days, man. Like, sitting there coming out calling that cowardly or people talking about how egregious it was or he needed to be fined or he should be suspended and all this other stuff. Where do you come from? Because that's not football. Football is a tough MFR sport. Thank you, LeVar. Right? Like, that, that's why LeVar is needed on radio and TV. Right? Because the, the, a chop block is legal in that situation. It was, in fact, needed and called for, and you have to learn to how to avoid it. I mean, it's just we, we do this with basketball with elbows, where a guy gets, catches an elbow and we stop, we review the game and everything else. That just, you're going to catch an elbow in basketball. Basketball is a contact sport. Football is a collision sport. You're going to collide with people. Check out the latest lines in the world of sports at Better Sportsbook, the most trusted name in online sports betting. Got to be 21. President Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Pennsylvania to play. Gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER. That's what we're talking Okay, we got a bunch of things to get to. I'll give you continued thoughts on Kevin Durant. As uh, uh, people have pointed out, that my explanation is excuse making for him. Oh, we'll we'll explain. But coming up next, Tom Brady returned to the Buccaneers yesterday. We still don't know for sure where he was for eleven days. Where he was for eleven days. Wait to hear what an insider had to say about it. I'll give you my thoughts on it.
That's upcoming next on the Doug Gottlieb Show here on Fox Sports Radio.